Thoreau once wrote, Heaven is under our feet as well as over our heads. Well, for the purpose of this podcast today, heaven is on the fault line. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. of my guest today on the program, Alex Bleeker. Let me tell you a little bit about Alex Bleeker. Yes, he was born in Ridgewood, New Jersey, but there's always been a California feel to Alex Bleeker. The basis for the beloved indie rock outfit Real Estate, Bleeker has also fronted Alex Bleeker and the Freaks, an outfit that plays a countrified mashup of Roots Rock and Psychedelia. That California feel I'm talking about can be traced to Bleeker's love of the Grateful Dead. We talk about that in this interview, so I'll let him explain. But let me say this. Bleeker's music has a timeless quality that makes it hard to place it chronologically. Now, that's a good problem to have, because one can never be pigeonholed or stuck in an era. They can float freely anywhere they want. Speaking of floating freely, Bleeker's first solo album does just that. A stirring and blissful collection of gentle jangles catchy 60s-tinged pop and ethereal melodies, Heaven on the Fault Line is one of the most beautifully crafted albums you'll hear all year. Or any year. Alex and I hit it right off, and I'm excited for you to meet him. So, let's get to it. Here's me and Alex Bleeker having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. adjusting i guess i mean today like i i i am in general feeling more optimistic than i have in the last you know six to eight months however i did start my morning by reading about vaccines and the new south africa variant and being like great is this just i don't know i, I you know at, yeah. at this point like and i wouldn't say that that like it's really funny to think back to mid-march last year and the intensity of the anxiety with each new increasing headline. And like, now I've just sort of, I mean, fortunately for me, you know, everyone in my family's well, I'm well, I'm safe in the most general, in more than the most general ways, I'm comfortable, you know? Um, so I've just, 
adjusted to this strangeness, you know? Yeah. For me, the biggest effect by far is, you know, with the band and with real estate, not being able to play shows and tour. And and that's really like the biggest part of our livelihood. So like, kind of feels like weirdly purgatorial, you know, (laughs) like, yeah. If a year ago someone said to me, like, you can't play real estate shows anymore, ever, that's it. Then there's this thing where it's like, all right, well, let's pivot. Let's do something else. What's the next step? But now it's like, you can't now, but you probably can later. And, <laughs> you know, like, right. Right. It's, it's very strange in that regard. Yeah, and you're kind of in this liminal place where it's like, you know, okay, we can't do this, but we'll be able to do that. So I exist in between that space, knowing, like, going, what do I do now? Exactly. It's this thing that I've, like, dedicated, you know, real, and also opens up this whole other, you know, issue, which is that uh, musicians across the board, pretty much at any level, uh, rely almost entirely on live performance, which is like, we can look at that and be like, well, I, I am a performer, but I, I make music that I can still do that, right? So why do things feel so tenuous or jeopardized just because I can't play live shows? That should really be one piece of the puzzle, but it's it's a very big one. It's know? a massive one. And yeah. I mean, have you have you been thinking in terms of, okay, how do I put groceries on the table? Do I look for soundtrack work? Do I think about commercials? Have you have you gotten innovative in that way? I mean, not not in ways that are like that much of a sort of career shift, but just in general doing things that I never did before, which have actually been fun, like uh, like taking cover requests, like fan sourcing, like, hey, I'll do a cover song for you and like send me some money and or like around Christmas time, like a lot of people ordered those. And weirdly, uh, I did just do a jingle for a for a friend, you know, not even like a job related thing, but I was like, oh, that was actually pretty fun. You know, <laughs> like uh, yeah. it's kind of, I mean, fortunately I've had a little savings and unemployment has helped me out and, and all that, which, so I'm not like, I'm at zero backs against the wall, but it is kind of the situation where it's like, all right, it can't go on like this forever. Like we're really, I'm by and large not working in the capacity that I have been for like the last decade. Um, Although the band, obviously I'm about to put a solo record and um, real estate has also been active and activating musically in, in ways. That, and so it's just like, okay, we're still doing stuff, but we like, it's just weird, you know? And the cycle has gotten all screwed up, right? Where it would be like, write, record, release, tour, write, come home, write, record, whatever that is. That whole process, whatever that was for you guys and for you has been completely upended. It's a totally weird, careful what you wish for. I mean, I think a, a big thing is like, speaking specifically about real estate is that we we live in different parts of the country. Uh, we're kind of scattered around, which actually mattered less than it sounds like when we were touring all the time, because it was like, oh, most of the time we're together in a place where none of us live, you know, for like a third of the year. <laughs> and yeah, um, and now it's this, piece of the puzzle of we would we were always like hey wouldn't it be awesome to like not tour one record and just immediately go and start making another record to like i uh i'm gonna jump all over the place here now but i i i've been i think about the beatles often you know as many music fans do i watched the new peter jackson footage that came out a couple of oh, weeks yeah. ago in the studio i was like really and and of course they're you know like a brilliant a group of people making amazing music but I was also like these guys 
had all the resources and all the money in the world and they didn't tour and they just went into the studio every single day and their job was to make music and like when you when you give artists that opportunity great artists like them not to take away anything of their like natural talent but when you just when artists have that opportunity to be creating in that kind of a way with those resources all the time it's like yeah wouldn't it be a shame if like the beatles had to tour for a year in between every record they probably wouldn't have had the same momentum you know right. so we we have been like hey wouldn't it be cool to like just for, for I, mean, I love touring and we can get into that but but just like hey wouldn't it be novel to like not tour and just keep making music and we just didn't really count on this being the circumstance and, and since we live far apart it's kind of hard to like become a pod and get together and get in the studio you know it's like right. we would have planned it a little differently had we know yeah, and then the question is, all right, so now that we're do kind of doing that, is it awesome? Like, <laughs> Yeah, right. Now it's like, oh, I will play in the shittiest dive to the <laughs> fewest people tomorrow. Like, you know, right. no complaints, yeah. Do you remember the last time you played live? So I played since uh, lockdown, you know, there are a couple answers. Since lockdown happened, I played one show, an outdoor show. It, um, I, I, am, I am a... Uh, a well-documented Grateful Dead fan. I here in, locally in California, I have a little Grateful Dead cover band, and we were asked to play. And it just so happened to be the day that we all found out conclusively. Well, it depends on who you are, but we all found out conclusively that Trump lost. Yeah, um, and it was that Saturday, <laughs> and uh, it was a big celebratory uh, feeling here in my little corner yeah. of the world. And we had we had a sh an outdoor safe distance. You know, we were like. 60 feet from the audience kind of show booked and it was this amazing serendipity it felt so good it was so emotional like I hadn't played before that the last time I played live was real estate's record came out last year on February 28th so we had this huge tour ahead of us and we were doing a couple of warm-up like promo shows we were playing I'll tell you this it was it was March 3rd or something it was New York City and we did we did this kind of like promotional event of, hey, we're going to go uh, stand in front of a bunch of our old favorite record stores that don't exist anymore. And we're going to play outside of them. And so we're like in front of like a, a like cheesy coffee shop or like a health food store and stuff uh, playing on the street. And so we did like three or four of those and then ended with like a proper in-store to record store that still exists. But actually, I just heard just closed, which is kind of uh. ironic. But <laughs> um but, uh, you know, just doing that, kind of, that was the last live performing that I've done prior to the lockdown and with real estate at all. And uh, it's kind of, I was like, wow, I was in New York, like shaking people's hands, riding the subway. Yeah. You know, just like stuff that feels wildly, you know, dangerous to me now. Yeah, I mean, I'm an erotic Jewish guy, and I have yeah. always had this bizarre thing about, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like Howie Mandel level. Yeah. Um, but, but I teach college, and I, and my students are always sick. Yeah. And they were really sick, and I, I've always had these sort of like protocols in place, like you know, I'll open a door like this, you know, or I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, push it, right. That stuff's I've always been in place. Um, so my, my level of anxiety hasn't elevated because I'm doing what I've always done. But I, my students were all sick. And I can't, and we were in a classroom on a, on a college campus. I can't believe I didn't get it. I yeah. really can't believe it because they were Well, you all may have. I mean, that's where I'm at is like, I don't know. Did I 
get it? How long does they, I've had one antibody test, but like how long do the antibodies even stick around? Yeah. You know, like I had an antibody test that said I never had it, but I was in New York that week. I didn't present like classic symptoms, but I randomly got a fever and like stomach stuff. And yeah. I was like, this is like early March, New York city. I don't know. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's just wild, but yeah, I mean, I'm also a neurotic Jewish guy named Alex, <laughs> so I can relate to you there. <laughs> um, but it's weird, like, the degree, now looking back and thinking, like, you used to have a, a cold and you were, like, really encouraged to go to work or school unless you really couldn't. It was like, are you really sick enough to not go get other people sick, really? Like, you know, right. with the prevailing mentality, like, come on, you can work. Like, you... You You'll be fine. Out of your nose, you're sneezing, but like you can work around other people inside. <laughs> yeah. And now there's been a real shift, even before the virus, where it's sort of like, you know, you're encouraged to stay away from people now when you're sick, even even long before this thing happened. And you can't sick shame people if they show up and they're sick. I mean, whatever. But no, I'm I'm with you. Where I I don't know in in terms of like when we were sort of floating around when this thing was really sort of beginning uh were we exposed to it probably i mean i mean i feel like i must i sometimes think about how close i come to it on a daily weekly basis you know what i mean like yeah and, and just wondering like we have this thing in our mind like if you are next to somebody with it you're definitely going to get it but it's probably not a one-to-one -one like that so it's like how many people have i like stood behind in the grocery store and like there it is <laughs> you know it's like it's it surely that has happened and it's kind of a funny thing to think about there should know? be an app that black lights your daily life where it's just like you live your life and it films you and then you go home and you watch it and it shows the black light of where the disease yeah. is and how close yeah. it was to you that'd be really fun <laughs> yeah I or like maybe it's like a week later. So you have, you know, it's like, okay, now you can like know how close you came. Right, right. And I'll bet you it's a lot closer than we, than we think. Oh, um, yeah. But the idea also that people, people look at each other in a totally different way now where they're a little bit mistrustful and not as inviting. And I mean, when was the last time you shook somebody's hand? Yeah, <laughs> you know? I know. It's like, I don't even want to do that ever again. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, uh, and there are things that I really look forward to doing again, but shaking hands maybe isn't one of them just like total strangers it's a weird and i i guess i feel i'm having this experience where and maybe you're having it too i've been watching a lot of like netflix and stuff because you know we're inside a lot and shows that obviously you know we haven't like caught up to the pandemic era with a lot of production and stuff so like people going inside each other's houses and standing next to you i have this like visceral brain baked in reaction like whoa too close you know yeah. Yeah. And I'm worried about that. Like, how, what is this doing to me? I know, because I don't think it's healthy, ultimately, because we're social creatures. And yeah. I think that it probably isn't the healthiest thing. Um, and that's worrisome. I mean, it's funny, because like you, you think about your work, and you think like, is the pandemic creeping into the subject matter? Have you found that like, when you're when you're writing songs, when you're when you're writing now, when you're playing by yourself and you're working on your stuff, is there a kind of element either of anxiety or dread that's based think, in that? I think so. It's like hard to resist because this year in particular, I mean, the last several years, but this one in particular feels like this culmination of all these like intense outside forces and great global anxiety kind of, and it's still going, you know, like, it's just like uh, this whole like 
I sort of made a joke earlier, but this whole like, okay, market, huge market manipulation by like Redditors is like, I think that's cool on one level. And also like, this is maybe the beginning of like, the internet means we can tear apart the fabric of society. And now everyone realizes it, <laughs> you know, just like kind of just like things, they all feel related to me. I was like, I don't know if this would have happened for better or for worse without the pandemic. It just feels it's like people are mad. People are frustrated at, about like wealth inequality. People are home, people are on the internet. They're like figuring stuff out. Um, so it's hard to resist that like, this feels like like there's a maybe like the pandemic is just another symptom of it, but we're in the middle of this like massive global shift. And so at, you want to write about it if you're like writing a song or whatever, you know, there's this compulsion. But then it's also like, I know that writing about very specific political things is really tricky. And, and from an art standpoint, or even just current events, you know, because you date yourself really fast. Like right. I'm interested in having stuff that stands up over a long period of time. And you're like, I just constantly think about uh, the Beach Boys cover of There's a Riot going on. And to me, it, it's like, this feels like you're just trying to cash in on some like 60s protest culture vibe. And it wasn't really your thing, <laughs> you right. know? And so it's like weighing those two things of like, I think the best, the best art says it without saying it too directly or specifically you know it's like more universal and that probably i think leads into the idea of the grateful dead where you think they were so grounded in a time and a place and history but yet when you listen to them they are there's they're timeless and universal in the sense that it doesn't even though they're they're a band from that era they're never in my brain when i listen to them they're never grounded only in that timeline to me they they are sort of like kind of um, cosmically open to any yeah. time or space. And to Robert Hunter's great credit, you know, I, I, I think and I also know from what I've read that like he was a true poet who understood very well the thing that, you know, we're talking about now and is like much more interested in writing about a more grand human condition than any specific event that's happening, really resisted commenting on, you know, the political turmoil of the moment, although it meets the moment, right? Like it's totally a product of the moment and expanding consciousness and all that. I think it's, yeah, it's one of the best things about, about the band, really. Yeah, or like a song, take a song like uh, another song from that era, like War, right? Like, okay, so yeah. that's like, right, every war, that could be the Civil War, that could be Vietnam, that could be Desert Storm. It all is shitty, right? Yeah, exactly. Crap, awful. But if, if it was sort of like specifically about, you know, desert storm and it name checked all those moments yeah right you're stuck you're calling out like nixon in a song and it's not going to play well anymore you know uh, <laughs> like and it, yeah i re i uh, i studied theater in college and i remember reading uh, a little bit of brecht and one of his principles was like if you're gonna write something political write it about an event that happened a long time ago and allow the audience or reader or listener or whatever it is to make the comparison themselves because it's a lot it's a lot more powerful and you see that all the time if you are it's if it's like you know uh if if it's just like heavy-handed this is about this thing that happened last week okay that's really obvious but this is about something that happened 100 years ago and we can draw the like the human parallel it's much more powerful i think
Yeah, because like, for example, I've talked about this before on, on the show, um, but like the song Ohio, right? Mm-hmm. You know, young song, I mean, specifically about Kent State. Um, that is a song that could be used for every school yeah. shooting. That could, but because it's so grounded specifically in that, you know, what it name checks and what it talks about and um, that you're, you're immediately transported back to that moment on the timeline specifically. Yeah. It feels almost claustrophobic, I think. To yeah. Me. I mean, and it's a great song. I mean, that song, that song gets away with it because it's such a good song. Yeah. So then it kind of add, like that. And it's funny because I'm of a certain age is like, I know about that event from that song. So that's kind of a different, that's yeah. like a weird different folk tradition where it's like, we're going to pass down these stories that should be remembered. But yeah, it definitely doesn't have the same anthemic quality that, you know, it's like that tune isn't in every movie about war, like some right. other, you know, like, because it is, it does have that specificity. Yeah, if you were doing like a documentary, say on Columbine, you probably wouldn't play the Ohio song. No, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, <laughs> right? But also, like writing a Columbine song now feels weird. But maybe if you did allude to it in a certain way, like I don't know, there there has there's a there's a level of poetry that I think something makes something more successful than you know. Yeah, and again, if your intention is to is to write to that moment, then that is, that is obviously then that's I don't want to say forgivable is the wrong word, but yeah. that's understandable. Then, if you want to write specifically for um, Columbine or Sandy Hook or 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 a, an event on the timeline, that it, that's totally cool. But it does ground it. Yeah, it grounds it, and I also think that we have to be careful to like, you know, there's this like if you're not uh, politically activated. Uh, socially activated in a certain way through your art, then what are you doing? And it's like, we can't kill, like if all art is specifically about all of these things and directly and so clearly, then it really narrows the, like we don't want these political crises that we're in now to destroy the production of great art. That, that would be another casualty, you know? Um, and so comment on these things, of course, and also there's definitely room for that specificity and that kind of activism. But I think it's a mistake to be like, this is what all art should be now, because right. I think we'll look back and we'll be bummed about that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, it almost feels sometimes like you watch old SNLs and it's like, uh, you know, they're doing Gerald Ford bits and they don't they don't really hold up. Yeah, you're sort right. of like, I guess, was Ford clumsy? He fell a lot? Like, I don't know. What yeah, happened. right, <laughs> yeah. So right. it kind of loses, it loses a little bit when you, um, when you do that. Um, but as, when you look at The Grateful Dead, do you think, like you look at their body of work, because I love them too. Yeah. And you look at real estate. Do you do you think in terms of how that band function as an as an organism? Yeah. Is that something to model after, or is that is that really impossible to do? I mean both. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think it's impossible, but I think that they existed in a time and they did a thing they were like kind of making it up as they went along and there's just circumstance and that group of people in that period of time and their perspective and the introduction of psychedelics and everything that they were like trying to model this like weird utopian society um it just made them incredibly unique and also just the talent you know um but i think let's see i've i think about because it's so fun to be in a band and then I like listen to the Grateful Dead podcast, for example, which I think is great, or if you haven't heard it, or just read a bunch of books about them, different people, so many stories. And I apply it in like the tiniest way to my own experience of being in a band. And 
I, you know, it's like, it's not the same thing. They had a community and a huge community that they've created a world. And that's so, that's one of the most fun things about being a Grateful Dead fan is like, you're, you're in, if you're into it, you're like a part of the band, you know? And right. I, I love that. That's my favorite. It's such a good band to be a fan of because it's inclusive. And so that it's, it kind of like, I don't know how that happened with them. It was just all these perfect circumstances, but I would, if we can like create like a 16th of that feeling of what it's like to be a real estate fan, you know, that, that is something that I am thinking about all the time. And I'm tying it back to the dead and what it feels like to be a fan of the Grateful Dead. Like I wanted to, going to the show is like, it's more than just, oh, hey, I like this band, I'm going to the show. It's like a community event and that is so cool. And it still exists, even though the band doesn't really exist in a centralized way anymore, which is amazing. Um, so like, I think it's a lofty goal to get real estate to that level because they're so unique and singular. But just to like bring that feeling a little bit by like doing special things, connecting to the fans, having outreach, you know, that, that I hope to achieve that. I think about that all the time. Do you, has there been a moment where you've felt like real estate has cultivated a community that is in the spirit of that, where you thought this does really feel like a community-based experience. Yeah, and it feels like it's fun for me because, I mean, this is shifting a lot now because the Grateful Dead feel like, like one of the biggest bands in the world again. And it's, it's, it's seeping into communities that had early, like stigmatized them earlier or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but it has been fun for me to bring that mentality that I just talked about to like an indie rock context that when I was growing up is totally different now, but when I was like into indie growing up, it was like, well, what are you into the dead? Are you into like indie and punk and like more intellectual music, you know? And so it's, and I was like, both, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but, but, uh, to bring that kind of mentality over to our fan base there are a lot of i think crossover fans now but but really when we started not as many and so like for example i'll just give you an example we played you know it, it always i always feel it when we do more than one night in the city which is like a uniquely you know it's not a thing that we do often i wish we did it more and obviously we're, we're not a huge band we can't do like big venues back to back but every once in a while we're like oh instead of this one big room let's do three nights in a smaller room in san francisco for example and that's when I really feel it because you start seeing some of the same faces. And for me, that's an opportunity to do things at the show where people realize that we're not doing the exact same thing every night, where we're trying something new, where we're having different energies, where we're cultivating like a party community like atmosphere. So that's really when I feel it. Like we did something, one of those, or maybe a couple of times we've done that, we have not repeated a single song, you know, which mm, is really conventional in some musical universes and really unconventional in in ours by and large like a lot of our peers in indie rock i notice will uh create a set list for a tour and that's the tour and we are like vehemently opposed to that and that's something that that i that all of us bring in from like a jam band you know consciousness a grateful dead and so to do I think they're like those fans that came to both shows in toronto or or uh, san francisco or whatever and they're realizing that we're not playing repeated songs and not all of them know the other musical universe that we're borrowing that from. And to watch people get really excited and think that that's really cool. That's really like a great joy for me. Cause I'm like, yeah, this is a rad thing. Each night is unique, you know? 
Yeah, because I, I have found that with, I know one time I saw, I saw Jonathan Richmond play and I was like, it was so unique and brilliant. Yeah. And I was like, I gotta go back the next night. And I, I went back the next night, he did the exact same jokes. Uh-huh. Like the whole thing was the uh-huh. whole, I was like, oh, I thought that was just like unique. I mean, I get it, I get uh, it. Yeah. It, I, was, I was disappointed. Um, but take a band like, like a band like Pavement. If, yeah. if you love Pavement and you talk to another fan who loves Pavement, you guys both agree that you love Pavement, but there's something competitive about them getting pavement more than you get pavement mm. and, you know you don't you don't get that with the dead it's like if you're like you said if you're in you're in um whereas pavement fans and i'm generalizing massively uh but there is a little bit of a sneer of like i don't think you understand the band the way i understand them that's kind of like a hip 90s vibe you know <laughs> or like um yeah and i love pavement and and i, I, I now know that malcolm is a deadhead which is great you know but um but yeah, no, I, I think I sometimes say because because my wife is Canadian and now we live here in Northern California and like our whole community is like people who love the Grateful Dead and she's like, I just kind of up there because it's a uniquely American phenomenon in a way. Totally. You know, it's worldwide, but it's super American. She's just like, they just kind of seem like another classic rock band to me. I didn't get this whole thing, <laughs> you know? Because liking the dead is not like liking Led Zeppelin or The Who or something. To me, it's not. It doesn't yeah, you're right. Like and I kind of, and I know they would, they fought very hard to actually not have this vibe, but for, and I'm kind of joking, but kind of not. I'm like, well, same religion, you know, like there are people from all walks and even with the iconography, with the psychedelic sacrament, with the, you know, like hymns, you know, and I just, and people from all kind of corners I, you know, I have a steal your face on my car and if somebody honks or whatever, where I meet somebody and we seem like worlds apart, but there's a dead connection. It's like, I, we have a similar something world, you know, like there is a connection there. And I've never been a part of any organized religion or anything like that, but I, it's the only thing that I could feel like people feel that way by like signaling at that they're part of a community, I guess. I've seen it on, I can, I can, for some people who don't get it, it's like, if you, let's say you went to a certain college and then like you see 20 right. years played football or something and 20 years yeah. later you meet someone who, there's a kind of like, you're in on that too. It's like, if you're an alum of a college, it feels almost like that, that kind of a community where it's instant um, for some people. I never felt that way about, about my college, but, but I get, I get that where that it's so, it almost feels like that. I think it was in the long strange trip documentary they did an episode on the fans which i thought was really great and somebody said i have more in common with a person who's going to be loving the grateful dead in 200 years than a person who completely doesn't understand it right now you know it was just like and i'm I'm certain of that yeah and there is that that feeling you know were you able to get anything similar with fish or were they weren't as resonant for you fish is my i love fish (laughs) um but but they're and they're my gateway um because of my age and my generation and they brought me in but i i sort of objectively sit back and they're not as good <laughs> you know like yeah fish is silly i i think you know i think and like in and the dead has a sense of humor about it fish is like largely like comedy is a part of their thing of their vibe and like and i think they know that and that's one of the things that i like about them but i think like you know, I've been actually thinking about Robert Hunter a lot lately, you know, so it's kind of serendipitous that we're having this conversation, but like, 
this is important, like literature and poetry, a, a lot of it, you know, and, and it's like a movement and it's like deeply affected the culture of the country, I think. And so like, there's, there's a weight, there's an historical weight to the Grateful Dead and, and the place that they hold that I just don't think fish, it's not the same thing, <laughs> you know, um, but, but all of that said, I love going to shows. I love the band. I never throw on their records or anything or even rarely throw on live shows, but, but that like, it's that thing of being in a community I think is really there and going to the shows is super, super fun. And it was that feeling, that initial feeling that I came to first as like a 12, 13 year old going to my first fish show and having my mind blown apart of like, what is this? incredible like group mind group feeling this love of the similarly with fish when you go to a show you feel that you are part of the show and yeah. not just like like the the line between band and audience is very thin if it exists at all and that is the thing that is so great and they have that truly and it's and that's like what relates them to the grateful dead like the most i think more than any musical aspect is like for whatever reason they were like the ordained next thing that all the people went over to and it's there and the spirit is there and i and then as i got older and got like more seriously interested in the dead bringing that awareness and association to being like this is probably like what it was like to be in a dead crowd in like 88 you know what i mean like and just seeing it in that context and uh it's cool i mean like huge fan but it's just a different is a different thing when you talk about the, the actual material, I think. Did it also make you think in terms of how you respond to your own fans? Um, thinking about how the dead did it and how how they were so cool about tape trading and yeah. like really, really cool. And they were so giving. And at the same time, they, they were running an empire. Like it was amazing how those two things yeah. could both hold true. Um, but they were really warm to their fans. Do, does that does that sort of affect how you, or at least inform how you interact with your own? 100%. And I wish, and I think they're masters of it. They were masters of it and so is Fish. It has really been like, they know how to be a fan, a band that is good to their fans. And, you know, and they understand their fan base and they're, because they are of it, they're part of it. And I, that's the gold standard for me, you know, and I'm constantly trying to think of ways that we can do things that are, special you know I, I just think like in that universe fans of those kinds of bands have an appetite for being that kind of a fan and i i like i try hard to cultivate that within our fan base because it's a different context for most people you know and i i try to sort of shepherd them along like come to a bunch of shows you know like if there's a few shows near you like come to a lot it's a fun thing or like that we'll create little incentives for it to be meaningful for you uh, you know uh unpredictable things can happen which i think that that's that's the key right because why go to a bunch of shows if it's the same all right the time? yeah right. right or even even with the dead like those those live recordings it's like no two are alike yeah <laughs> i mean that mentality is like I mean, it's amazing and that that with them is what's so amazing is because it bleeds over into this like life philosophy like there's repetition but never twice the same and that's how we're going to Oh
how you improvise on stage like when you when you play live is there a degree of improvisation that wasn't planned on beforehand yeah and i think that that was actually something that we baked into the band from the very beginning like there needs to be room within these structured songs for things to change and i try to and and those are the best shows and we're not a band that traditionally jams often it does happen and when it does happen it's really special and it's amazing but we have we have dedicated passages where where it's time to improvise or like move differently through the song and they don't happen the same way each night and i think like always hands down the best shows that everyone in the band can agree on is like when unexpected things happen because then we're then it's alive we're listening to each other the crowd is affecting it when the crowd can hear it that's my message like if you're if you're a casual fan of any band be a good audience member it makes a difference it will be better for you (laughs) <laughs> you'll make the band play better it's just it's so weird I, I don't understand what it is but you know like this is true you know with the dead obviously but also like with real estate I really noticed like sometimes we'll walk into a room and the energy is just through the roof insane from the get-go and the show's ama- and then it becomes this you know cyclical thing where everybody's feeding off of each other and it's like that was amazing I don't think people understand the power that they have like every show can be that good you know, right. It will be better for you, the crowd, if you are engaged, you know, and not taking this like impressive right. standpoint, right. <laughs> you know, like, what you got. Yeah, yeah. 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 I get it. And, and for you being a theater guy, improv, you're no stranger to improv then, right? No, no, not at all. Right. So, th- so there's, a, cause you have to be kind of fearless to take those chances. It's scary, you know, especially like when there's people looking at you and they're expecting something from you and you want them to like it and you have to fail you have to fail so like with with real estate it has largely become this thing of like we improvise within this section you know like we haven't to to borrow fish parlance we haven't really graduated to type two jamming very often but the type one is we're increasing the uh, frequency with which that happens and there have been moments for me, really transcendent moments because the stakes were sort of low that were like, all right, let's just do, we'll decide beforehand, but like, we're gonna jam an F, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's scary to do that, but it, like when it works, it's, it's amazing. It's really awesome. And I think having the understanding that like your crowd, like by and large, they're, I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know if our crowd wants it. You know, I don't know if it's a safe space for us to explore that. Um, but I, I'd love for it to be, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, if you do something that maybe it didn't land the way you wanted it to land one night, because that happens, right? Yeah, for sure. Do you carry that with you? Like, do you, do you, do, how long does that stay with you? Or are you able to let that go? It's the, when the feeling that you, that I get when you play, a sh- when I play a show that feels like it didn't really hit is unshakable it's terrible 
<laughs> and it stays with me like and then inevitably there's at least one or two friends there and they're like it was good and you're like don't let him like you know you can't and i've done i've been on the other side of it with i like try to say to my friends they're like they have like bad sound on stage or whatever they just like weren't feeling it the crowd was quiet stuff that maybe had nothing to do with them and i'll be like it was a good show it sounded good and they're like in that bad space and i'm like trust me i know how you feel like i'm outside of it you're inside of it it was actually good like relax <laughs> um but the best part about being on tour is that you get the another chance the next day you know so right. like if you're playing another show the next day it doesn't stick around that long but it is it hurts man like if you're playing a show and like you feel like i put too maybe too much into crowd reaction but it's so important like if you're feeling like the crowd isn't really with you and you can really feel it it's hard <laughs> like yeah. what are you doing here that's the thing i've it, it's you know i think about a band like green day yeah who are from here and i think about that billy joe really early on even as a very young man he knew how to conduct the crowd i mean it really is quite brilliant if you look at the early early videos he's he's doing the same thing he's doing now yeah and they're amazing lot uh, i mean green day green day you know i i was a very impressionable age when dookie came out and was like the biggest record in the world and, and it was huge for me it was like one of the first records that i was like this is mine this isn't from my parents this is like music that i love and i got curious this is a couple years ago i guess but i started looking up i never i did actually see them live once but i i started looking up live videos from that era and i was blown away it's like this band's amazing they're super great live band yeah yeah i mean out of the box he knew how to do it it was just it was just like a second nature thing and so the crowd is always with him they're, they're instantly with him and I can't think of very many people where they automatically get them that quickly. Yeah. You know, I mean. I do it. I try to do it with talking and I, I, it doesn't always work. And then I'm like cringe when I hear back tapes and I'm like talking to the crowd between every song. Because <laughs> I'm like trying to get people like engaged and to like me and to laugh and to be part of it. And sometimes it works. It's sometimes it's like a stand-up routine where it's like, oh, it's really hitting and people are like into this and we're making jokes up here. And sometimes it shouldn't make things just way worse. Like I do, I have the admiration of, of like the dead thing where it's like barely talk to the audience, but be present with that, you know, like, and I, I, it's probably, I, I don't know that much about Green Day's live shows, but I bet he doesn't, he probably says some snide like punk stuff to the crowd, but it's yeah. probably more he does it like with the music and the performance than the, the banter, I'm guessing. I mean, whereas you take someone like the Ramones, I don't, I don't think the Ramones yeah. said much. They would just play great songs one after the other you know? Um, and so, and the fans I'm sure loved that, but there is, I was watching, I saw Peter Himmelman play like 25 years ago and his songs were, were all really serious and very um, intense and kind of open wounded and emotional and beautiful. Um, but his in-between stuff was hilarious and like really funny and self-deprecating right. and weird and tangential and hilarious. And I loved that he was asking the crowd to laugh and then to listen and it was like it was tragedy and comedy literally happening at yeah. once. i love that have you ever seen uh somebody like get show that they're really upset with the crowd and then have like an animosity thing happen yeah never the right route to go doesn't work i feel like I, I i've done it in my own way you know like hey we're up here you know or something you know it's just like well, now you've alienated everybody even further. Like, there's no way you're going to get them back after that. Like, 
feels like I think as like a, that's my advice to any performer you know <laughs> like might feel good to have a knee-jerk reaction if you think the crowd is bad and you're trying to like bring them back or whatever like you're like getting reactionary like hey screw you or whatever yeah never the right call <laughs> it's just because so it, is it break the spell is that what it is I think it just doesn't I think it's just unbecoming you know what I mean <laughs> and yeah. and it's never gonna get it's never you know you never get their desired effect. Oh, I better be a better audience now because this person just admonished me for being a bad one. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I saw it only work once. I saw Midnight Oil play the Greek theater in Berkeley, and you know the singer Peter is such a big, massive, electric guy, mm -hmm. um, and a, and a sweet guy whose heart is in the right place. And there were some people who were. One guy was behaving very poorly, and he kept warning him not to. And finally, in the, in the middle of the song, he just reached over this and he picked the guy up with one hand. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that just, the, the spell wasn't broken because it was like, Peter Garrett was like a god. And it was like- And I think that thing, like if you have people who are like heckling or like being like assholes in a sort of like mosh pit context, 100% call those people out. Yeah. But if the crowd is just like, quieter or chattier than you want them to be and you're just like hey shut up or what you know like yeah as a whole if it's one person doing an annoying thing i do think there can be camaraderie with everybody being like we all hate that this person's doing an annoying thing right <laughs> you know yeah but if it's just like you're playing you're you're an opening band you're playing to a really chatty crowd that doesn't care about you it's a horrible feeling it's an awful feeling but it's you're not going to get them back by yelling at them, I guess is what I'm trying right. to say. You know? Right. And also the chemistry. Like if I, if I, let's say I have two classes back to back at the college. Mm -hmm. The first class I teach, I make some jokes, I do some things and, and everything lands and I go, yeah. oh my God, right? The next class comes in and we're talking 10 minutes later. I do the same jokes and nothing lands. Yeah. And so like the chemistry of the crowd is something that you can't quantify. Totally. And it's not necessarily you i mean you're one small part of the equation I, i've i've given a lot of thought to this thing that i said before it's like why is it that on a random night in uh leeds england the crowd is off the wall you know and it's just like it's a couple things like some things you lose sight of perhaps you know when teaching or when performing is like it's friday you know it's this time it's like these people like had a few more drinks at the bar you know there's so many circumstances that i can't account for actually but in a very like self-interested way i'm like it's me it's the bass note that is either right or wrong <laughs> you right. know right. and it's not but it's it's beautiful when it all works together you know yeah it's a lot to carry where you go well i ruined that experience for everybody yeah and myself, <laughs> <laughs> myself. yeah how are you with your instrument are you are you practicing every day? Are you, and if you don't, does it feel weird not to? I'm not practicing in like a woodshedy, like play scales kind of way, but um, I, especially now, have been playing a lot of music at home. Um, one way that I do it, that I sort of practice is I like, I, I tend to write and record simultaneously just because I have, I mean, we're on Zoom. I don't think the podcast is a video, but you can see I'm like in my studio right now. Yeah, I can see it. Um, and if I'm writing something, I just like start recording it. And, you know, I, and so that has like kept the musical thing alive for me and even just recording a lot of covers and stuff, just so I'm doing something without the pressure of writing. Um, 
but I'm not like, okay, I got to sit down. I've never been this type of player. I wish I was actually, I wish I had a more disciplined, like learn the scales thing because I could be a better technical musician than I am. Um, but I am playing a lot. How ritualized are you? Do you, do you say, Oh, it's, te- it's 10 o'clock. I gotta, I'm going to go till one or you don't, you don't. No, do I mean, I could, that'd be an interesting thing to hold myself to that and experiment with it. But I, I'm not really that kind of writer or player. And actually I have very little success writing music when I want to, mm. um, <laughs> you know, like often like, I really want to write a song today. And it's just like, Nope, sorry. Not happening. Uh, <laughs> uh, it kind of comes, you just like, for me, it's like play often and trust that it will come out of that, you know? Um, but I, I think, you know, Martin, who's the, the chief songwriter in, in real estate does write that way. Like, and I'm very, always very impressed because he's like, oh, I'm writing for the next record. And he like, he has kids and so has to be more, you know, uh, regimented about it. And he just like kind of goes to like his office to write music, which, you know, it's never worked that way for me, <laughs> um, but I'm impressed. I feel like though, it's like saying that is a little reductive. Like I could try and see what happens, you know? I hear authors say that more than musicians where they'll yeah. say, I get up at five, I write till nine, then I take the kids to school. And I'm like, wow, I, I feel like if I did that, I, cause I'm a writer and I've never, I've never gone to like a writer's retreat. Yeah. I'm afraid that if I went there, I would just be like, okay, now I'm supposed to write and now yeah. I can do it. I think it's like sort of similar to that, like dare to fail idea you talked about with improvisation. Like I bet good writers write a lot of crap from five to nine <laughs> you know and it's like tons of it and it's just like you have to write the crap to get the nuggets like there's no other way you have to be bad and i think that's true in every in everything and so i could take that approach to writing music is like don't be so self-editing like let the bad stuff just flow out of you <laughs> you know and like yeah even if it's forced like yeah this is absolutely forced you know but um and just leave it on the cutting room floor or whatever um but I, I have heard like writers in particular say that like, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be really bad. You have to produce a bunch of dribble, you know? You have to cut through and then you have to sort of, almost like you have to like unclog, you know, just get it all out yeah. and then that stuff flows, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, did you actually plan on making a record or did that, that surprise you? That you're like, oh, I guess I'm-, I guess I'm this, record that, this record that's coming now? Yeah. I, this record was done before the pandemic. It's been oh. around, so it's kind of coming out late due to the pandemic, but in general, I mean, that question still stands. Like I'm always planning on making a record, but I never have a strict timeline until I do. You know, I feel like the songs come when they come and then it will sort of be like, oh, I'm close to having a record here. And then it's like, okay, I gotta get in like a studio or take these steps to make it a record, you know? But I'm sort of like, in a way, how my process goes is like, I'm making a record now, because I'm still writing, but I don't know when my next solo record will come, or maybe some of the songs will turn into real estate songs, or, you know, like, with real estate, it's different because we're so fortunate to have a bit of an infrastructure and a fan base and behind us where we're like, it's time to make a record, and we do, and that's, that's really fun to get into that mindset, but it's also, it's with my solo material, it's a little different because it's, it's just looser, which is a great thing. It's just like a constant perpetual outlet that I have. And I like, it's like almost like, I hope the muse will give me another record after this one. And I don't know how that's gonna happen. Like I always feel like, like I look back on songs that of mine that I really like, you know, and I'm like, I have no idea how I wrote that. 
like, and sometimes when I'm in that mode of like, I'm trying to write a song and I can't believe I wrote this good song three years ago. Like, what the fuck? Where did that come from? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And you'll, and you'll never know. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the whole thing, right? But it's that weird trust of like, it'll probably come through again, you know, like hope it does. Do you find that the stuff that happens, the magical stuff happens almost faster? Yeah, but I don't know if it, like the best stuff is like, I mean, not, not across the board, but often is like, here it is. Yeah. Oh my God, here it is. It's like delivered and the words and like, and it's done. And, I, and, but I think that you sort of like we were saying, like, it's a bit false to be like, that just happens and sit around and do nothing until it happens because you have to be doing all the other stuff to get, you know, the brain there or something. And then like, it might not be linear not like, oh, I sat down for two hours trying to write a song and I wrote all this bad stuff. And then at two hours and 15 minutes, the good one came, but it's like that two hours you know, these like 100 hours combined over the last six months delivered this good song finally or something, you know? Right. Well, if you're always recording, you must have hundreds of hours of stuff that- I have stuff that I've completely forgotten about. And then sometimes yeah. that's really cool though, because I'll just go back and I'll be like, this is actually good. And then that becomes a song, you know, like- Yeah. With a little distance from it, like something that I totally left or abandoned I would say that like iPhone voice memos have been super instrumental in that for me because I like come up with little things or whatever and they're not complete songs and I'll put them there and I'll completely forget about them. And that is a good prompt for me to start writing actually. It's like, well, let me go back through a bunch of those and see if there's anything in there, you know? See, I love that. But there's also the opposite where you write something. This happened to me fairly recently. Mm. I was like, oh, that just kicks ass. And then two yeah. days later, I looked at it and I was like, no, it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> totally. Those are hard moments. I mean, I had, what what are you a a, a prof what do you teach? Are you an English? I teach creative writing, and, you and teach, so you're a writer and you teach creative writing. Yeah, it's like I admire that practice so much because that man, I in my creative writing, you know, courses that I took and then dabbled with, like yeah, write a short story or whatever. And I know, I I know the the technical thing of like yeah, you have to write a lot of crap in order to get good but it's just like sitting in front of a blank page and even having an outline of a plot or whatever it's like i just can't imagine. i don't i i commend you i don't know how you people do that thing it's amazing yeah. and my brain doesn't even work that way so yeah. i it's it's funny i wish it did because i i think i'd be a lot more prolific but i i'm so tangential my brain does not yeah. adhere to anything linear um so it's it so that seems like a rare a rare um kind of glimpse into how some people do it in a, in a magical way. To me, I can't relate to that because I wish I could do that. Sometimes I'm amazed at how many novels have been written. I know. Even bad ones. It, it's just like, this is an accomplishment. You wrote a novel. It's like, it blows my mind. Are you doing a lot of reading in the pandemic? Have you found yourself picking up a lot of books? I have been actually, yeah. I don't, I, I, I find myself to be better reader with structure. Like when I'm taking a course, it's really easy for me and it's hard for me to like motivate and that's gotten easier. It's like a muscle, right? And that's yeah. gotten a lot, that's gotten easier this year. That's, that's a one small silver lining is I have been doing more reading. Yeah. It almost feels like, <laughs> like I kept thinking like, okay, there's, there's no excuse with all this time. There's no excuse for me to a not finish writing a new book. So I did mm. not, I should read all these books on the shelf. So I didn't do that, but I'm coming close. I should learn to make this dish. I should, I should teach myself that language. I should fix that leak. 
I mean, yeah. And for me, it's like, there are so many books that I haven't read that I, in my own narrative, I say that I, I know what they are. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm like, well, Hemingway, I know what that is, you know? And, and it's like, well, I never read a movable feast <laughs> and, you know, and, and then I read it and I was like, yeah, this is great. You know, and it's, it's not, it's, it's a, you lie to yourself. It's not the experience of like, I basically know the stuff that his style and what he writes about. So like, I got Hemingway. And it's like, no, you right. read this stuff. These things are classics for a reason, you know, like, yeah. I've done that with music sometimes mm -hmm. where I have, there's bands where I know, I know the whole thing, but I haven't actually, yeah. like a band uh, example is like television. Mm -hmm. like, like Marquee Moon, I, I know the whole trip on that. I know the whole thing. I've, I've heard a song. I've never actually heard the album Marquee Moon. Well, it's amazing. You're lucky. So like in these, in these instances, right, when people are like, it, no matter what it is, movie, book, you know, series, record, there is this tendency to be like, you never listen to Marquee Moon? Like, screw you. Right. <laughs> like, Son of a bitch. like, the approach that I take is like, I can't wait for you to put on Marquee Moon this afternoon and flip out because it is it's an incredible record it's incredible I, it's one of my favorite i mean you couldn't have picked a better one i mean and it's also like central to the way that real estate sounds you know this um and their second record actually adventure also amazing really really good um so you're you're stoked you're lucky you have this very easily accessible thing that you can draw up with your fingers that is amazing and you can put it on and you can fall in love with it like right now if you want yeah, my, I'm going to listen to it this afternoon now that we're, now that we're talking, because I've, I've always been meaning to, for whatever reason, it's just never, I'm sure you have this too, where there's like blind spots in your, oh, yeah. right? Oh, you're like, I get it. I mean, I, I, you know, and then some people will be like, oh, I can't believe you admitted that out loud, but I listened to uh, Lou Reed, Coney Island Baby for the first time, like three weeks ago, you know, and I'm a huge, I'm a huge Velvet Underground fan. I love Lou Reed, you know, and I, it's just like, it's that thing where like almost, you have to get away from that point where you're like embarrassed to admit it to yourself or something. Like, oh, this record that, like, a lot of my friends love and is kind of a standard for a lot of people, I actually have never heard. And then it's like, do yourself a favor and put it on. Because right. instead of being like, I know what that is, you know? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we both just made some very big admissions just yeah, now. Totally. Uh, I was on a date with a girl years ago, and it was going really well. And she, we were talking about music or whatever, and, I'm, you know, I'm a music journalist, and she started talking about Lipstick Traces, the Grill Marcus book. And I said, oh, I haven't read that. And she looked at me. It was literally like I said, I, had, I didn't believe in God or something. And right. she said, how can you be a music journalist and not have read Lipstick Traces? And then the, all the air went out of the date. Like, you, like it was going really well. And then it just yeah. literally turned on the fact that I hadn't read that book. And I was like, because I haven't fucking read it. That's and opposed, take the other flip of that and be like, this is amazing. You get to read this book. It's really good. It's one of my favorite things. Let me share with you why I love it, you know? And I think that, that it's like a very, I had her point of view as a younger person, which feels like a very younger person. Like I'm like this, I've absorbed all the best culture. And if you haven't, fuck you. And, you know, and like, that is just like, also, I, I certainly had not <laughs> at that point in time in my life. And it, it kind of is this like, yeah, there's this music fan thing in particular that happens that got to be, it actually like, it like stopped me from listening to great music for a little while. And then I had to catch myself, but like, you know, I, I'm sure you are as well. I'm friends with some like very deeply knowledgeable, nerdy record head people. And they play this game with each other. 
Have you heard this? Yes. 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 Until somebody says no. And then it's like, point for me. You should really listen to that. You know, and like, it, that's really cool because you can discover a lot of stuff that way. And, but when it loses the like good nature of sharing and becomes this like competitive thing, it really turns me off. Yeah. And so then I'm like, I'm sure this person is recommending amazing records to me. I'm sure. But I, like, I don't even want to do that because I, you know, I think we have to get out of our own way with that. Yeah, it's like, uh, oh, go ahead. Why don't you, uh, don't talk to me until you understand the go-betweens. And it's like, right. it's okay, well, <laughs> you know, instead of saying, look, you get this amazing gift of getting to listen to the go-betweens. It's kind of like the John Cusack high fidelity, like romanticized record nerd thing where it's like, that's cool. And I'm like, that's a fun movie, but maybe that's not cool. Maybe it's cooler to like positively turn people onto that stuff and be nice right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I said to someone, uh, one of my students early, she hadn't read Salinger, and I was like, you get this amazing gift. You get to read Salinger for the first time. And like, because he's my favorite guy and yeah. you know, I love those books. And it's like, you, you are now, you're so lucky that you get a chance to do this. And for me, it's like, I, I read Catcher in the Rye when I was 14, like so many other people. And I want to read it again because I, even just getting older, and thinking about it, I'm like, I guess I thought that he was writing about something that he might not have been writing about. You know, like reading it when you're holding Caulfield's age is like, this guy is right about everything. Like, <laughs> it's like, I can't believe this person in this novel understands the way that the world is and the way I see it so intimately. And then it's like, oh, he is like a person writing about that age you know, looking back at it and it's, that's a totally different perspective to have. So yeah, I've often, I, and I haven't reread it, but I should. Yeah. And I think that age also sort of changes the way that you take in certain art. Like maybe you loved something like a band at 15 that you yeah. just don't love anymore, not because they're bad or something changed, but because you got older Yeah, and your perspective just changes. So you don't really feel that you it doesn't light you up the way it used to. It's weird how that happens. Like I remember my dad used to put on Harry Nielsen records all the time and I would be like, oh, <laughs> I hate this, you know? <laughs> yeah. As like a, and as a guy who like loved classic rock, I was like a Pink Floyd teenager a lot, you know? And, but Harry Nielsen was like this, like, like why would you want to listen to a little touch of Schmielsen in the night? This is like the most, and now I can't get enough. I, it's like I, I acquired the taste. I aged into it or something. Like, yeah, I just want to hear standards sung beautifully with an orchestra, you know? Yeah, I think you grow into some stuff and I think you grow out of some stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, where it just doesn't have the same relationship to you, which is really interesting when you think about it. Um, yeah. Like how, how music ages with you, uh, how art ages with you. I mean, yeah. It's, it, it also is kind of frustrating where you go, wow, that song used to give me this thrill and it doesn't anymore. It's, it's a little bit heartbreaking. Totally. <laughs> I, I will say that I'm happy that uh, their newer records don't, but, but the old Green Day records, uh, because you mentioned them before, still do that thing for me, which I think really stand, it's like, okay, this is like highly stylized in this time period, but the songwriting holds up, which is really cool. Like. I love this record at this age and I can put it on now and be like, this is good. <laughs> like pretty objectively. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of when you're doing your own writing, are you, if something doesn't, if an idea doesn't work out, have you gotten to the point where you go, this is one I need to walk away from? Or have you gotten better at, at that? 
I think so. Although I think it's also important to be like less self-editing at times too, and, and like finish it, you know, and not, not walk away too soon without seeing it through. Because I, I feel it, it's, it just depends on what it is. Like, I think knowing if something is not working is good and helpful early on, but also like sometimes I'll get three quarters of the way, sort of like you were saying about something you wrote, like I'll get really close to finishing something and thinking it's really good. And then I'll come back three days later and have this perspective like, what was I thinking? This is so corny or this isn't working or whatever. And I think in those instances, it can be important to finish because you might, you don't know which one of you is right, which version of you, you know, like, because you can flip, because you've illustrated that you can flip so easily, like how are you gonna feel three days from now? Like how, yeah. How is the other person who's not you, who's creating gonna feel when they receive it ultimately? Yeah, and I was in a situation where I had to, I, I wrote and I had to cut about 6,000 words. And frankly, cutting them, like getting rid of them, felt like throwing out like something rotten in your kitchen. Mm. It felt good to get rid of it. It didn't yeah. break my heart at all. I was like, yeah. these need to go. I don't want to ever see them again. And yeah. that, was, that actually felt good. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. But I finished, but I had finished, the, I, you know, it wasn't like I was writing and, and, and backspacing. I literally saw that idea through, let it sit, came back to it, went, no, <laughs> it's gone. Yeah, right. You know, um, are you optimistic for the future? Are you a pretty optimistic guy? Um, yeah, yes and no. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm optimistic in the like long near term that things will feel better than they'd feel right this second. Um, and I think that would be a huge improvement. Like I, I have this weird sense that um, in the sort of shortish term, there's going to be some explosive reaction to this pandemic thing that we're all experiencing together, this isolation. I think the pendulum has to swing the other way and we'll experience some sort of like cultural bloom, roaring 20s celebration of humanity thing. I really, my optimism is sitting there right now. I feel pretty hopeful and good that something like that's going to happen, which is really exciting. I have a sort of like, I have to kind of like make peace with myself on the sort of climate doom front. <laughs> and you know, in the in the longer, longer term, I'm just kind of like, I don't know how this is gonna play out. And I haven't seen any signs that it's gonna play out super well. <laughs> um, however, just taking a sort of different outlook of like, yeah, you know, uh, the planet might not be suitable for human life. And it's really sad that probably a lot of people will suffer because of that. However, it's all part of a system that reshuffles itself all the time. And, and so like, in some ways it's nothing new and just kind of trying to take that outlook of like, we're all still plugged in, you know, it's the very cheesy, like we are stardust man, but like we're all, well, our matter is still plugged into the same giant system. We don't know what's going on. It, it could be okay. I'm an optimistic guy. I think it's going to be okay. Uh, that was great. Chatting with Alex Bleeker, really nice guy. Uh, you can order his new album, Heaven on the Fault Line, uh, through nightbloomrecords.com. If you're interested in real estate, and you should be, 
not the real estate. You're, I'm not talking Zillow. I'm talking the band. Realestatetheband.com is where you need to go. Zillow, well, you and I both know Zillow's doing just fine. So uh, if you want the Alex Bleeker record, nightbloomrecords.com and all real estate information, realestatetheband.com. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out all things about me. Well, not all things, but most, most of the things are on that site. The rest of it, well, you can follow the rest of it uh, on Twitter at Ember's Editor or on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or just email me. I'll tell you all the secrets. Editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Bombshell Radio can be found at BombshellRadio.com and Stereo Embers the Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. I defy you to find me a platform where we are not on. I'm sure there's some now that I think about it. So I don't defy you that intensely. I kind of defy you. And if you find one we aren't on, drop me a line, and we'll get all of our people on the case. Okay? All right. Uh, Let's close the show with a longer listen to Alex Bleeker's new track, Reach for My Brain, from Heaven on the Fault Line. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio.
Yeah.